Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back with another episode of Quote Unquote with KK. As you remember that uh, the second wave of uh, COVID in our country had led us to take a pause, but we are now back. Today, I'm going to pick up a very important topic which has led us to really rethink what the future of banking and financial services is going to look like. And I have invited Dr. Anil Khandelwal, who has been an inspirational leader when I read his first book, Dare to Lead, which I still follow some of his guiding principles from his book, which has led me to the top of the hedge fund industry, giving me a title of uh, the father of quant hedge fund investing for offshore, as well as my current funds and investment activities. I was never a industry insider or a financial services person, but some of the inspiration that Dr. Anil Khandelwal had provided from his book has led me to who I am today. And I really thank him for being on my show today. My journey with Dr. Anil Khandelwal started when we were together on the board of Pfizer India, where I learned a lot from him as part of the board member. And very briefly, I would like to run through his illustrious profile, which I'm sure you will also appreciate and type of depth to issues that we will be talking today. Dr. Anil Khandelwal is a former chairman and managing director of Bank of Baroda. He was credited with the total makeover of Bank of Baroda through multiple transformational initiatives, but more particularly through reshaping HR policies and innovation in customer centricity. In all three years, he was awarded the prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award from Asian Banker Singapore for his contribution to financial services. And he is the only Indian banker to receive this honor. He has written several books and I am going to post the links to his books. In fact, Sanjeev Chadda, Managing Director and CEO of Bank of Baroda, calls him a living legend for Bank of Baroda in one of his books that was recently released on transformation leadership in banking. He has been distinguished for former chairman who pretty much invented a new template of an HR-driven transformation in terms of managing public sector banks. And BOB was his laboratory. As we face another crisis since COVID-19, there is no doubt that the answers to our problems must be in a new way of working and talent management, unquote. Dr. Anil Khandelwal has been a government appointee on Committee on HR Reforms in Public Sector Banks, popularly known as Khandelwal Committee. He was also appointed as member of the first bank board bureau by the government. And I'm really honored to have Dr. Anil Khandelwal on our show. Let me begin by a topic that is very close to my heart and which has really driven me in the principles that I work in my fund, which is Dr. Anil Khandelwal's journey, which he has penned down in his book called Dare to Lead. And for the audience benefit, I want to begin by asking Dr. Anil Khandelwal, can you walk us through your journey, which has inspired so many people like me and budding bankers? Thank you, Kapil. Uh, you have been so gracious in my introduction. I'm really grateful to you. I think after well past my retirement, I thought I'm a banking dinosaur. And you have the habit of putting your hand into the mouth of dinosaurs and get whatever little out of them. So I'm here. Look, Kapil, I belong to middle of middle class, if I can say. And I studied in municipal schools. I studied in parks in the famous city of Taj Mahal Agra and I was a mediocre student and the only first class initially I got was in my graduation and after that I never looked back. Then I 
completed my engineering and after engineering i thought this is very mechanistic and given the problems around i applied for a bank job and i was appointed probationary officer in bank of baroda and i was shattered those days there was no concept of customer service the unions were bombarding the manager helpless and i looked at the social system of an organization at that time and i became hugely interested about the human resources side i said in work organization i found so much obsession with deposit taking doing credit and in the process compro- the culture of compromise so right in my probationary officer days i wrote a letter to then chairman of bank of baroda which was very very unusual i could be dismissed as people said and interestingly i got a reply and i was amazed that how that single letter i decided to continue in the job and rest is a history that and and i realized the value of leadership and human resources that if my letter the lowest man in the officer scatter could be replied by the number one there is something that so this magic of human resource and leadership dates back to my initial journey and i would really urge the listeners to read his book as well the links would be provided in our podcast Moving on, Dr. Kandelwal, I would love to start by talking about the current situation of our banking and financial services sector and the impending reforms that we need. And first question I wanted to ask was, do you really believe that nationalization of banks was the right move if we were to trace the history of our banking system in India? Well, Kapil, at that time, it would have been, it was rather a political move. But in hindsight, I think I can see that it was a brilliant move because it really connected the banking system to the poorest of people. And I have gone through that journey because I joined two years after nationalization. And I could really see the kind of reach the bank had to rural areas, to agriculture. It was a kind of a social revolution in the country. There, there are things that may have gone wrong on the way. There have been, there are unintended consequences, many in terms of a whole lot of things one can criticize. But fundamentally, it was a brilliant move at that point of time. And it's vindicated by the fact that no government has changed the basic flow of banking since then. Although I strongly feel it is now time to really sit back, reflect whether it is relevant in the current context. Thank you for setting the context for us to talk about it and discuss in the current context of how banking has transformed in our country. Millions of lives of people touched millions of lives of people and got in financial inclusion. There have been hundreds of banking and financial services committees formed at different levels at different uh, point in time and obviously they have given out recommendations and somewhere these recommendations have not been followed through as a result we believe that there is a lack of political will to move ahead with the reform process and uh, change the way the system is operating so according to you what are the key issues that our uh, financial services sector is facing in our country well a good question there is no doubt that over the over several past several decades, India's public sector banks have delivered consistently. They have provided the foundation for every significant economic activity required to propel growth. 
and build much needed infrastructure on which the edifice of modern economy rests. It has supported entrepreneurs desiring to set up major enterprises. It has participated from personal loans, small loans to huge exposure in major infrastructure projects. But now, if you, if you look back, it has also paid a huge price, the huge the amounts of NPAs that have come. There have been service problems. Although post-liberalization, the industry has adopted technology. It is as good in technology as perhaps their private counterparts. But we need to relook now what is the new environment and how do we go about setting it right? You are very correct that several committees have been appointed. The Narsiman Committee 1, Narsiman Committee 2, they were the most brilliant committees in post-liberalization. And I think government adopted whole lot of areas for consideration from these committees. Some of the major issues were left out from that. Lately, two other major committees were appointed. In 2009, I was privileged to chair a committee on human resources in the public sector bank. And another very, very significant committee on governance was appointed, what is called PJ Nayak Committee in 2014. And the PJ Nayak Committee have given significant recommendations on the governance. My committee has gone very deep into the human resource, leadership, and cultural dimension. You see, there has been a linear expansion of banks and banks have become large institutions today with some of the big banks having over 100,000 employees. And I find the human resource function is peripheral, most underrated and is only gets, uh, you know, leftover attention of the board and the bank management, barring some exceptions, some one or two great banks, which, which is still pay some attention. But not if you look at the Hindustan lever, you look at Tata, you look at some other big corporates today if they are built and transformed there is a very rich edifice of leadership and human resource culture that to my dismay is missing and there are a whole lot of aspects that you rightly said that the government needs to implement what has been happening is it is picking it, it is called drip drip by drip transformation and one plus one is not making two actually so several transformation have been from khandelwal committee some small transformation but largely is strategic and key transformational agenda has not been implemented. Similarly, present government has really initiated number of uh, initiatives. There was Indra Dhanush, which recapitalization of bank, setting up of bank board bureau, and appointment of outsider as CEOs. Again, some more transformation, setting up of IBC, insolvency and bankruptcy code, and merger of some banks. Now, what is happening that you don't see the alignment in these trunk and you don't see it that it is working out because if you look at the financial parameters of banks. It is a pity that market capitalization of one private bank exceeds the sum total of market capitalization of all the public sector banks. It's rather double up. It's a pity that the market capitalization of a smaller private sector bank than the largest is equal or higher than the State Bank of India. So now this hurts me as a public sector person and I'm sure it hurts many. And there are also on all ratios, return on equity, return on assets, by your price to book, on all these dimensions, public sector banks are crippling actually. And this is not a happy state. And therefore, we now to take up a big agenda of reform. That's a great starting to put together the systematic theme for banking and financial 
financial services reform. Let me pick up a few scams and failures of the past on both sides, whether it's the industry where you have the Malias and the Nirav Modis of the world who have scammed the banks. At the same time, there are certain leaders in the bank which are obviously under investigation like your Yes Bank, Rana Kapoor's of the world. And yet we do see scams after scams happening. What lessons can we learn and plug these failures and scams, whether it is the PNB Bank or certain other banks or the Yes Bank and the industrialists who have scammed these banks and really led to a chaos. What's your take in terms of what can we do to set the agenda for the reforms? Good question, because banks carry, they are funded by public deposits and public confidence and safety of funds are very important. And that is a reason for all the regulations. I tell you, no scandal or no scam happens overnight or no mismanagement, the kind of things that, that have happened in Yes Bank. To believe that nobody knew about some of these things is very difficult to digest. I think the thing is that most of our regulations are rule-based. Now, rule-based is a rare view when the things have happened then we say why it has happened we start investigation it is not a gps way so it's very important that every time something happens more rules come now i'm not saying rules should not be there but what i'm saying is that it's now important to get into setting right the culture of the banking system and this is where regulations have to take a turn that how do we because most regulation deal with known knowns instead of known unknowns. And That's right. Yeah. And we need to take, as I said, a GPS view. The regulation have to be enabler. Now, regulation and rules cannot be equated with building a great bank. A great bank is built by culture, not by rules and regulations. They are the supporting structure. In fact, if you have too many rules and regulation, they breed fear, bureaucracy, stifling initiatives and environment of negativity. Now, I'm not saying regulation don't have to be there. They have to be there to build a culture of accountability, to build a culture of trust, to build a culture of capability creating, to build a culture of reporting well in advance and to build a culture of speaking up within the organization where if something is happening, the junior managers don't feel scared in reporting things even against the senior management if it is important enough. So I think that culture edifice is missing and rightly now some international bodies like Financial Stability Board, Group of 30s, FCA, one of the regulators in UK have started focusing on culture as an alternate pathways to build better banks. Group 30 commented that governance rests on culture. One line statement, poor cultural foundation and significant cultural failures were major drivers of many financial scams and failures. Now this answers. I was just perusing the FCA website and I found a number of papers on the culture. The behavioral scientists have now entered the regulator's room and they are discussing how to build culture in the banking system because this creation of culture is the new paradigm for regulators that they need to look upon because it can help really creating a very sound base of an architecture of mutual trust and capability, which, which is a long-term intervention. 
and simultaneously rules and regulation will continue. For example, the how to do it. Now, that's a question. There is no one size fit for culture. Culture itself should not become a matter of circular that how to create culture. These are the five things. It is to be done. It is at the first of, first of all, you need to create at a strategic industry level. Prioritize cultural assessment at the same level as prudential management. Governance practices and risk management, as we pay attention to that, there needs to be culture surveys at the industry. What is the industry culture? Regulation could help build a culture of cultures. That is an operating environment where culture becomes a strategic priority and it is normal to talk about culture. Second is that regulators have to ensure that at individual entity level, individual enterprise level, there is a senior manager certification for accountability about their own behavior as well as those whom they supervise, as is done by the UK regulator. And at the firm level, the regulators have to ensure that there is a proper meritocratic HR culture and there are institutional mechanisms for dealing with people. Now, I think at this point of time, it may sound a bit, bit esoteric for the hardcore finance people. It may sound a bit what you call a lipistic approach to management. But I tell you, the presence of lipistic may not be motivating, but absence of it is noticed. So, Culture, building that, building that culture edifice is very important. And I think it is not a thing that overnight things will change. But once you start doing it, maybe another five, ten years, significant changes can be seen. Otherwise, it's a good luck. Now, second thing is our regulation with regard to private banks. Regulator RBI has recently come out with some good guidelines. My personal view is, although we have two models, one private bank where the promoter is a CEO, excellently run bank, right? Another is yes bank, classic example. But I tell you, we can't, this is your luck that you have one good bank and one is not. Personally, if you ask my opinion, I think private banks should be headed by professional management as early as possible because this really gives confidence and, and the yes bank kind of things can be avoided. But lastly, I would say that this also demonstrates the yes bank and other examples that our board management practices leaves much to be desired. After all, if you look at the CVs of the board members, even in these banks which have collapsed, you will feel, oh, wow. So I think this CV cannot be that X has been former chairman there or Y has been a leading uh, this person. Now, if there was a culture, if there was a market information, it was a behavioral uh, 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 issues coming to the fore, it wouldn't have taken that much time to find what is happening in X or Y bank. Dr. Khandelwal, you have traveled 80 countries across the world, and I'm sure you would have met various bankers, central bankers. Uh, personally, you reference uh, UK's Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, which I also had to go through a rigorous scrutiny to be on the board of my own hedge fund, which was uh, listed out of uh, London. And to tell you the experience that I went through in terms of the type of scrutiny FCA exposed me to was really crazy. They sent my <laughs> file to Interpol and the Interpol sent the file to the Ministry of Home Affairs here, the Home Ministry. They in turn from Delhi send it to the state uh, where I was living to the CBI. There was another trail of uh, file was, that was sent to RBI to scrutinize my anti-money laundering or any other uh, financial activity which could debar me. And finally, after all that, 
a questionnaire of 50 pages that I had to answer and sign off as truthful. And regularly, I had to submit six monthly statements before I could be put in on the FCA's register so that I could go on the governance of any board or financial institution or any fund based out of UK. Now, let me also want to understand why can't Indian government mimic the FCA's way of doing things? And it's an independent regulator, just like our TRI and many other IRDA. Why can't our banking system be made to be run through an independent regulator who could probably change the whole culture right from the governance to early warning systems like what FCA does uh, in, in UK? You are so right, KK. You are so right. Uh, in a recent paper a year back, a former governor of RBI lamented that the RBI does not have full powers in regard to public sector bank. So they can't be possibly by implication, they can't be held responsible for whatever happened in a PNB or elsewhere. Because under the Banking Regulation Act, the power to appoint board, power to appoint chairman, power to supersede the board, power to liquidate a bank, power for merger. In case of private banks, it is given to RBI, but not in case of public sector bank. And that is where reforms are required, as you are saying. Now, elsewhere, they are thoroughly empowered, UK regulators or some other countries that I visited, that there is a complete divestment of ownership and regulation. In our country, our government is both owner as well as regulator, partly. So I think there are areas of confusion and areas that needs to be sorted out. This is where I was saying the time has come to for some fundamental reforms. For example, today bank board's appointments, bank board's constitution are determined by 50 year old Bank Nationalization Act, which says that the from different categories of people, you appoint the government appoints the board. Now, 50 years after, it is not categories, it is the competencies that you need a person from risk management, you need a person for uh, technology, you need a person for this and that. So I think time has come to repeal these acts. Now, government has already announced privatizing two banks. I think it is time to look fundamentally. NIAC committee made a, a very fundamental recommendation that let all the government stake be transferred to a bank investment company. And that bank investment company appoints directors, appoint handles the bank so that government day-to-day -day operational control goes away from the. Now, this is a fundamental thing. Time has come to look at it more serious. The second model could be that the, the government can privatize three, four large banks. You can get the value out of it. During my visits abroad and when I was working, when, when I was chairman Bank of Baroda, I had some opportunity to interact with various regulators. There is no doubt what you said that they do a whole lot of due diligence. Sometimes it is irritating, but I think uh, it is required. And coming back to the question that you asked me that why our regulators don't have that much of independence and power. That's how it should happen. But government will have to now, uh, these are the areas where government has to look at to empower the regulator uh, with regard to the regulating the banking and financial system. It's a very, very important aspect. As I said, that RBI itself is concerned about it. So they don't have full regulatory powers over the public sector banks. So this is a key issue. So now foreign regulator, if there is a, if there is a, a small 
whole problem in our foreign operations. They will call and they will have very tough discussions in regard to the infusion of capital in local, your local subsidiary, in regard to the competence of the CEO, in regard to the inspection report. So it is absolutely professional. So much so that when the inspectors of regulators come in America, especially I experience, they don't even take tea offered to them. It's a part of their conduct that they, they will not take even the tea of the bank being inspected. Now that kind of very strict and rigorous discipline and professionalism of regulator is really worth appreciating. So we need to over a period of time, our regulators are doing really very significant and good job, but that does not mean that there is no areas for improvement in terms of I talked of adding culture to their supervision and regulation, which is very fundamental. Dr. Khandelwa, I wanted to sum up on the reform side. So according to you, what are the five key reform agendas for the banking and financial services sector that you recommend? And the second question, to is what are the risks for delaying this reform agenda for this country? Yeah, that, that's very important question. The second one is very important. You see, post-COVID, the countries which had a strong financial systems have really managed things quite well. In our case, we too have managed. But I tell you, you cannot have a financial system which survives on the oxygen of recapitalization from the government. This is ultimately is a taxpayer's money. And our valuation internationally goes down. As I shared in the beginning of the talk that how on various parameters, especially on valuation of banks, we are really, it's very disturbing. And what we need to really, if you ask me to list certain areas of regulation, our governance structure is marvel in theory and a nightmare in practice. That's a nice one. Yeah. A friend of mine who wrote a paper in my recent book, he mentioned this. And when I look at this, this is absolutely right because it is marvel in theory that Bank Nationalization Act provides that different categories of people will represent on public sector banks board and agriculturist employees from social sector, this, that. And nightmare in the practice because the current realities are different. Second thing is that you need competence-based board. And when government appoints, there are delays in the appointment, then they exactly you are not able to get in the areas that you want. So I think state has to dilute its role in the management of bank. And that is the fundamental reform that state may have its equity, but has to dilute operational control of the bank. There are various mechanisms for this. NAC committee, I said, is one where you create a BIC and transfer all the stakes. And there are various mechanisms over a period of time. Discussed. This has got to be done. The second is that there has to be stability of bank management. On an average, the tenure of public sector bank CEOs is between 2.5 years to 3 years. I mean, just imagine that if I was studying that in the last 20 years, in three largest banks of the country, the CEO tenure has been between 2.5 to 3 years on an average. Now, in the case of public sector bank, except State Bank of India, even the next level executive directors come from the other banks. So imagine a large bank where the MD and the four executive directors are from different banks. Where is the cultural assimilation? And then their tenure, they are all birds of passes. They are there for short tenures. So what happens to the stability of management? That is issue number one, that if you create independent boards, first of all, as Peter Drucker said, 
often the bottleneck is at the neck of the bottle. Create independent boards. The board which can hire a whole lot of things which can select other board members in various companies. This is fundamental. That is number one. Number two, the restoring the shine of human resource. If you don't have capability infrastructure, if you can't hire from outside, if you can't do campus recruitment, if you can't really motivate people, the banking are essentially still people oriented systems in every organization. It's all about competence. They are competent operationally, but I think you need leaders. You need people from transactional mindset to transformational mindset. You need people with larger vision, long tenures, motivated, and currently there are no reward system virtually in the public sector. So when you need to give independence, autonomy, and capability to build a large size organization, practically in every area, what kind of organizational structure a bank should have, the government comes into picture. That you can have so many executive directors, so many general managers, so many this. So independence is the key thing for the public sector banks. And there are a whole lot of things that should be done inside. The focus on intangible. These intangibles, how you become an employer brand, how do you really develop a, a system of integrity, and these are all internal things that one needs to build. But who should build? If your tenure is two and a half years, you can do as much. And you don't know to whom you are handing over the charge. And the entire system is transient. Within the government, the Department of Financial monitors all banks. There itself, secretary changes on an average every two years. In the bank, the board members change every three years. The CEO changes on an average 2.5 years. The executive director changes. The whole thing is very temporary. Financial system requires stability in the management and in the board. And then a lot of things in terms of culture building, as I said, the second reform is the reforms in regulation itself. The regulation need to focus on building a durable culture and the steps must start now. With regard to the public sector banks, as I've said, government has also to take with regard to as there was a moment of nationalization where a major decision was taken. I think time has come to take a major decision with regard to repealing these old acts and government deciding how much they want to remain in the public sector, whether by reducing their equity or by transferring the, their stake to BIC, what is structure will be right. This is not the forum I can discuss, but I think it is time. There are enough committee reports. There are enough homework done. It's time for political decision to take. The government has to take a political decision to improve banking system to make it more resilient and shock proof. We cannot afford if we want to create a $5 trillion economy. We need a very stable and resilient banking system. We cannot have drip drip reforms. We need integrated and substantive reforms now. I think that is what then of course number one, two, three, four can follow because when you have a strong management and a strong board, then the complexion and character of management has to change, which has to become market driven because banks are market facing institution. They cannot be managed by a highly centralized bureaucratic system. They have to be managed inside. It's a long process. It might if government take decision, maybe next five, seven years, the system. Now government per se does not become the system, but the structure is such that does not add to stability of the system. That is the point that I want to make. Dr. Khandelwal, I wanted to just bring some comparisons between state-driven banks of China 
versus state-driven banks of India. In spite of having certain commonalities and dualities between China and India, if you see the top 10 global banks in the world, there is a Chinese bank. So they have, through whatever being public sector driven, been able to create a size and scale in their country with their regulation the way they are versus us, if we have the aspiration to reach the $5 trillion economy, one of the private sector banks should have been in the top 10 by now, which indicates to me that the nationalization of banks did not really create the scale. What's your view on this and what's your take on this issue? See, each country, I mean, China may not be the best example, but yes, they are in the top yeah. 10. <laughs> there is no doubt Correct. about it. Given the special context of our country, I think nationalization at that point of time and over a period of time has contributed to really uh, take banking to millions of people. But now there is a time to look beyond the nationalization and to create, and this is just the right time to really give a new dose of oxygen to our banking system. You cannot have it crippling for capital. You cannot have it crippling for high NPS. You cannot depend on, so there are, this is just the right time to revive the banking system of India. And we have the capability of maybe in next 10, 15 years to have three to four banks in the top 20, if not in the top 10. Today, even the State Bank of India does not come in first 40. I think it is rank is 45th or 42nd. Exactly, I don't know. So it's a pity. And then the market capitalization of state bank is, uh, as, I, as I told you, is lower than two private banks in India. And private banks were set up only 28 years back or 27 years back. And the state bank is over 200 years old institution. Just to give an example that while in the private sector bank, a CEO recently retired after 26 or 27 years. In 27 years, I'm sure in a state bank, there have been 16 CEOs. Correct. We know exactly what problem is, my dear. We also know the solutions. We need political will and we can ill afford not to demonstrate that will as of now. Because banking system has the potential to contribute to $5 trillion economy. Government on various fronts have shown political will to make change happen. I think it's time to look at banking system change little more, I think, in a more focused way that it is now, it's now only. Excellent. I want to now shift some gears, having spoke about the whole transformation and regulation of banks, to talking about areas you have been working in the banking system after retirement with uh, BOB. The first thing that comes to my mind is the whole governance. Let's start top down because I want to unpeel different layers of the onion of the bank management and that is tasked to take the transformation ahead. You know, the in independent directors and board members, and I've gone through a very, very strong scrutiny with FCA. And I can tell you, there's nothing like this. I've seen even in, in private sector banks, uh, appointment of directors or board members, let alone the bank committee that you've had. So according to you, what are the qualities of an independent board member for a bank to lead the bank in the future in terms of transformation and growth? I think rounded development. When we put, when we think of a director in the bank, we think financial knowledge or we think that economist or somebody. But I think more than anything, he has to be a person with deep values about human processes, 
of experience of creating a large size institution not organization but the journey from organization to institution is different where leadership so i look at leadership who can ask questions right questions one of the tragedy on indian boards banks included is that on the lighter way i can tell you sometimes they behave as if they are faculty of a deaf and dumb school i think we need to recently i was doing a program for independent director i said i think we need to undergo training in speaking up first of all we need to speak up in the board speaking up is considered as a kind of a sacrilege especially in promoter driven companies now here in public sector one good thing is that there is embedded governance theoretically you can challenge everyone sometime in our working we get time we have to disagree with government we write because that is embedded governance in private sector i don't know there is a lot of discretionary governance that how much governance we want to do that is and that is why there are so many things so we have been lucky uh, our training has been in embedded governance but again having said that i should say that board members have to this is not a power and perquisite appointment this is an appointment of responsibility and accountability it is not something that is an entitlement i am appointed on the board it's a huge response and what does it mean so whole board processes have to get professionalized and when you ask me i think the role of board chair is to make all this happen how does he create board as a truly a strategic think tank which can give direction discuss we don't have to clerks of works there there is so much agenda we have put our dhobi mark and say approved 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 I, i think we have to have a paradigmatic change in our thinking process and therefore in the a selection of board member we need to see men of reputation the people who have held a leadership roles but then people say where are these people there are lot of people don't get hanged on only academic qualification please do due diligence about the people and their character as you were saying what a due diligence you have undergone i don't think currently due diligence is there in the nomination of bank boards either by the state or i don't know about private sector i'm sure that since i don't know how they select i can't comment it's not fair to comment but board has to be really a paragon in some sense of virtue what about fiduciary responsibilities we have had fault lines on both sides one is serving term in tr jail the other one chanda kochar is out of and other things so isn't fiduciary responsibility of a managing director of a, of either the private sector bank or a public sector bank not an important decision criteria well i would not comment on individuals i will only like to say that when you have a speaking board many of these things either can be totally avoided or there can be early warning signals and bolder board members could have reported the state of affairs to regulators i think we need to be now the board position is beyond vested interest the board position is beyond bothering about the board fee the board position is a fiduciary responsibility you are keeping funds of others millions and billions of rupees of others who have faith in you so therefore you have to have a very larger frame of reference but this culture of speaking up is not on i think this is a cultural problem in our country that people don't speak up and those who speak up is if we speak they are considered as some sort of adversaries and this is where the board chair the selection of board chair the selection i mean friendly nominations on the board and those kind of things in spite of but what is happening rules rules more rules every day and that's where i 
I said culture is important, whether for SEBI or whether for RBI, whether for the state, it's a process. But today talking about culture means very esoteric thing. How can it be done kind of it? See, in order to couple, I already always believe that success is to be planned. Otherwise, unconsciously we plan for the failure. Not only success, the succession planning <laughs> as well. Of course, <laughs> success in succession <laughs> planning or success in board management. It's a very consciously you have to plan and take steps or else if you leave, it doesn't happen. I wanted to take one quick thing. There are people from who are independent, non-executive chairmen, vice chairmen or directors from non-PSU backgrounds on PSU board. And a couple of them have been great friends and colleagues of mine as well. And somewhere their feel is that although there is a good intent from the management and from the public sector appointed CEO and MD of, of the bank, their maneuverability as an independent director also gets restricted at times while serving on the board of a PSU bank. Given that there are past histories and different decisions taken in the past, that they are constrained to take bold decisions. How do you unlock or create a situation to get out of these sort of deadlocks? As I said, as a part of Indra Dhanush with Herald Transformation, it was, I think, the first time a non-PSU person was put as CEO of Bank of Baroda and the chairman of Bank of Baroda. And the combination worked extremely well, I should tell. Then in Bank Board Bureau, we decided to experiment with the non-executive chairman post and persuade it. Some of the star CEOs of some great companies like Pfizer, 3M and some others. Believe me, okay. there I did their interviews for my recent book, Transformational Leadership in Bank. And they have talked open-heartedly about what is their experience in the public sector bank. Now there is a unanimity that there is a lot of passion in public, private or public, but point is I have always felt passion is above competence and that passion exists in public sector bank. So they don't deny that, but they all lament the fact that they lose out on culture, the culture of trust. There is a fear psychosis, culture of trust, culture for customer service, because sometimes meeting a customer can also go against you. Then why did you meet that customer? Suppose his advance goes bad. This becomes an area of inquiry. So and then every single of these non-executive chairmen who came from multinational and private sector background commented about the human resource function, which is I think is not in the shape that it should be. Some of them and exactly the persons I know, three of them have done an exceedingly good job in whatever they can do in their three years tenure. I wish their tenure was extended. And so thing is this change heralded change within the banks. But then again, I said this is also one piece of change unless it is integrated as a part of a total strategy to reform the banking sector. It doesn't fit in. So the experience of banking sector with the outsider non-executive chairman because they bring lot of wisdom. They can they can set the processes right. They bring the best practices of their respective organizations. And personally, I have interviewed them and I found that and I also talked to concerned banks. They have made significant contribution. So likewise, if you make changes on the board constitution, if you have longer tenures, if you have better compensation, it's not rocket science, KK. Let me tell. I totally agree with you because some of the people that you have mentioned have also been on my boards of my fund and, and other places and we share the same passion around what we have done in our lives and I'm sure you also agree with me. I want to shift gears a little bit about the COVID situation, 
how the banks have to transform and the money situation and what's going to happen next. Let me understand, COVID really made us understand that banking, though being a essential service, had to put a lot of employees at risk during lockdowns. And I'm sure a lot of people have suffered as well. And the whole process of digitization in banks had taken a different level of acceleration. And I don't want to probably say that private sector banks have done really well. I'm a case study of you know how one of the leading private sector banks which started digitization way back in early 2000s. Actually, I continue to get their uh, SMSs. I continue to get the, the bank statements in my email, although I have stepped down from the board of that company and a signatory to the bank account, but I still get after seven years of having my resign. So the whole thing about customer centricity, digitization, and the culture change from the back end in driving this digitization through HR is now the key need at the operational level for whether it is private sector or the public sector. How do you think that the banks will have to transform quickly? See, COVID has put human resource issues and human being at the center of agenda. Correct. I must say, because I don't know much about private sector banks, that in public sector banks, the passion of frontline, despite the not so good salaries or reward system or whatever, the passion has always been there. And the banks, some of the banks that I, I keep in touch, they have really proactively dealt with human issues in a variety of ways. They set up a special helpline for any employee getting into COVID situation or their family members. They booked beds, they booked beds in certain hospitals. They also created alternate day of coming to bank. They provided the computers at home. Some of them, so I was very, I think there are always unintended positive consequences of a negative event and COVID provides us that. I hope that employee and their issues will remain at the center stage because I do believe that amidst the heat and dust of operational banking, somewhere employee is not in the center stage. And I do feel that the food soldiers in any organization bring lot of wisdom. And one of my leadership code is respect to soldiers. They provide a strategic input to your policy making. So they tell how a neighboring bank is doing in terms of policies, product and processes. He provides you or she provides you. And that's how I use a lot of operational wisdom. But reach out. Even if you are largest bank, today technology provides you mechanism to reach out to people. And just imagine the thrill of a frontline if he's able to see his CEO or general managers, if not physically, on the video talking to them. Should it not be part of daily agenda of a CEO to spend an hour and talk to people in four different locations? In 365 days, he can cover 10, 20,000 people. And just imagine how passion gets multiplied. Because if you have seen people, they can give anything that you want. You need to open an emotional bank account of your employees. I want to take up one issue, which probably the banking sector and the industry has been talking about, is the liquidity and infusion of liquidity into our system. And obviously, the current regulations and interests do not seem to be in alignment. One is that uh, approvals from public sector banks are taking uh, much longer or the sanction authorities are taking longer to give or release the funds to the industry. 
Is it a systemic issue that the COVID situation has led uh, this crunching of proposals to be released out and the credit to be released uh, to the industry and people? Actually, KK, the liquidity within the system is very high. The RBI has taken several steps to ensure, in fact, banks are parking their funds with RBI. There is so much of liquidity. As regards the sanctions and other things, maybe the during COVID, the full operations in some places may not be there. There are several factors. And as I shared earlier that there is a general fear factor in case of granting any large credit to a greenfield project, for example. But I'm not too sure because I will not be able to answer this bank-wise, what is the situation, what happens. My uh, hunch is that COVID situation may have because the bank's full operations uh, as of now may not be there, but certainly the liquidity within banks is in fact there is an over liquidity and there is enough that bank can land and banks should land. But I think you need an environment of trust and a fear-free environment in the bank. And that's what I was sharing throughout my discussion, that we need to really give that confidence because all this infrastructure of, and we need to have a large heart for tolerating the business misjudgment. Every business misjudgment cannot be inviting criminal, what you say, supervision of the agencies. I think this is also one of the major factors. And many of these things can be solved if if the government comes out to go down below 51%, then bank will be. Now, that does not mean that making banks liberty drunk. Definitely, there has to be accountability. There has to be a high level of integrity. But I think this sword hanging on bankers and in some cases what happens that one such case happens and the hundreds and thousands, they rightly or wrongly play safe. So, so we need this is also an issue of culture. So we need to deal with it in a very integrated and significant manner. This is not something that we can get away by a social talk. We need to look at it now more seriously that how to make our banking system trusting, how to make our banking system fear free, how to make our banking system really take bold decisions to encourage industry and trust people. It's a larger issue. I want to come back to where we started, nationalization of banks. The same thing happened to the nationalization of aviation industry. And I'm sure Air India wants to go back to the Tata's fold. But on allowing takeover. So as I was saying, the Tata's, the Reliance, the Adani's of the world are not able to get a banking license or the government doesn't want them to acquire a public sector bank and privatize those banks through the route where the aviation industry has taken in the case of Air India. What's your take on this issue? Allowing industrial houses to own a bank? They were owning the banks before nationalization. Ah, They were owning and there were problems. And in fact, there are inherent conflict of interest in this. Inherent conflict of interest. See, any large enterprise has several entities. And then you will require very strong Chinese walls between the bank. And if regulations can really ensure that large industrial houses can bring big capital. But I think as our former governor Rajan, he has written a very significant paper on this and uh, given a very strong logic why industrial houses should not be invited to own a bank. I think there are, let there be a debate about this, a very open debate about this and let there be, if at all it is to be done, then it is to be done 
in hindi they say jaan karke you are taking a risk you want to take some people have gone to space <laughs> travel to space jaan karke it can boomerang but they have gone the point is you need very stricter regulation and this is the feeling word over that industrial houses should rather be kept out of owning a bank because you cannot control they have 100 entities there are 200 entities they have got there are 50 entities they have got and if you own a bank there are obviously conflict of interest but if there is a better system by which experts can design so it's a matter of debate and uh, i don't think there are right and wrong answer in yes and no and some experts like rajan have already commented but that's one view let our some of the former governors discuss this issue let some economists discuss this issue let politicians discuss this issue and uh, that's how it should be in a democracy well we have come to the end of our time but i want to take one personal question from you which i want to do ask you what is your key message to the budding bankers who are joining the industry because you have been a career banker you spent your life at bob and transformed it what is your personal message to the bankers of the future what i have learned in my journey is that you can't be clerks of works banking is such a job that you are sucked by day to day operations and then even those brilliant people who come who had some reading habits also they say where is the time i have seen people degenerating in their day to day work so one of the things that i have always done and i am sure i can give advice is that reflect on daily basis what is happening to you as a young man everyone has 24 hours president biden our own mr modi you as an individual i as an we have 24 hours and time is the new poverty poverty of great professionals poverty of rich especially so how do you become time rich this is the problem that you retain your originality as a human being in your work and in yourself and keep on developing yourself as a human being in terms of learning from daily episodes reading i think is very very important i find most people find it difficult to read on daily basis and learn from world is changing so much and you need to read not only banking you need to read literature you need to read biographies of people you need to read and that has been my system of developing myself i maintain several diaries book wise diaries i make notes even now and i often shuffle those things and this is how number 2 that be articulate with your concerns pliability and is the norm because most of the time people think it is not safe to speak which may be right i have always experimented and taking the risk because one of the things important is i never worked for next promotion they happened in spite of today we need what i call rebel talent mm-hmm. i don't mean rebel in the sense of creating but rebel in the sense that something is bothering me i articulate i discuss i give feedback rather than internal suffering it may be a risky proposition but i have done it in my very first job about my frustration i wrote to chairman of the bank is still on probation he replied to me 50 years back i also wrote an article in a in a journal directly recruited officers in banks square pegs in round holes it created some stir that this man seems to be in fact now i can share with you 
that my immediate boss commented that he's a potential risk, thereby meaning that probably my confirmation can face problem. And eventually, nor that I work to become somebody. So my point is, we nurture very different kind of fears inside us. Fear of speaking, fear of acting in a particular way, fear of innovating something. Yes, our culture sometimes may not encourage, but be yourself. It's a difficult proposition for individuals to follow. And third thing I have followed is tough love on performance and compassion for people. It sounds oxymoron, but it is not. Now, after several years of my working, my belief is vindicated by Jim Collins' research that humility and hardcore professionalism can go together. I never read Jim Collins at that time. But then my intense belief in tough love and the other my message is learn from those who know more. Never be shy of learning from anyone. See, I have learned a lot, to be honest with you, from my colleagues and subordinates than anyone else. Because everyone brings some wisdom. Today, young people are coming, they know technology more. So these four or five things and don't work. I mean, I mean, I'm making a very controversial statement. I never work for next promotion because if I do that, the whole behavior changes to people. You, you become very pliable. You become yes, sir. And therefore, in some places we have culture, lick up, kick below. Most people whose behavior with their bosses is kiss up or lick up, they turn out to be very autocratic with their subordinates. Mm -hmm. That's so, a nice revelation. Yeah. That lick up, kick below. So I'm very, very suspicious. I have been of people who are irritatingly courteous to me. Mind my word. There are people who are irritatingly courteous. So be yourself. Try to do your things yourself. And finally, if I can say, when you get a powerful position, life is not about power and perquisites. It is about responsibility and accountability. Be accountable to yourself always. Banking system about everything is your personal integrity there are a lot of temptation on the on our journey in the financial sector lots of temptation making quick money if you are underpaid many people will offer their cars and this and that and temptation how do you manage those temptations how do you i think it is easy to talk about these things how not, not to fall into the trap of aping and imitating some others but all these things make sense and believe me i have not taught learn your banking do this exam do that exam that is your craft but you be on a leadership ladder right from day one you keep your ladder of leadership right against the wall of integrity and you will see that and your measure of success is not by position you hold, but the kind of legacy you leave. That's all. I really I thank you, Dr. Khandelwal, for being part of the talk here. Really inspirational last words. Obviously, the whole issue of reform in our banking and financial services sector is so vast. We have attempted to cover up at a high level many of the issues on our show. I'm sure this whole issue could have been dissected even further, but for the audience purpose to make this whole talk more holistic, we decided to cover at a high level, at a broader level, to make this discussion with Dr. Khandelwal an interesting one for a wider audience. I really like to thank you from my heart. You have been an inspiration to me for what I have done in, in the financial services sector. And on behalf of our audiences, 
and our sponsors and our team. I really like to thank you for making it uh, possible to come on our show. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Khandelwal, and I really wish you all the best and stay safe. Thank you very much, Kapil. It has been a privilege appearing on your show, and I'm really impressed by your ebullience and your uh, pitching in. Not of inspiring. I, I've seen your show with many people, and I feel truly inspired. Thank you very, very much. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye.